Welcome to another episode of the Grace Over Grind podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lacey C. Robbins of Robbins Nest Consulting, founder of the Everyday Business Conference, consultant to small and mid-sized businesses, and coach to women who are ready to use their knowledge, background, and expertise to build a platform and make more money. Hey, 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 ladies, welcome back to another edition of the Grace Over Grind podcast, another episode that I like to call Life at the Table. So if you have not listened to episode number 40, where I'm talking about six steps, six things that you can do to be a better ally, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to that first. But in today's episode, I have Dr. Amy Hager. She is an amazing business owner, CEO, um, located in Maryland. And in this conversation, we're really pulling back the curtain to have a dialogue. What does it mean to not be the hero as a white woman? What does it mean to want the rhythm and not the blues? And more so, how to avoid the bandwagoning. And then Dr. Amy's going to share with us her series that she's been offering called Dear White People, where she literally is calling out folks, um, calling out her own, so that we could all continue this momentum and moving forward together Because as you know, and I'm sure you'd agree, change has to happen. We've recognized racism as an issue in this country, but now that we've recognized it, what are we going to do to change it? So again, in this episode, Dr. Amy and I are sharing with you some key ideas that we have that as women, we know we can do to start to change it. So buckle up. And as I always say, ladies, grab those stilettos. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Life at the Table. You all, you know, this particular week, after 10 days of protesting, if you haven't, first off, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, being an ally, you need to just hit pause now and go back and listen to episode number 40. Today, I'm really excited to have Dr. Amy Hager to join us. We're going to keep this conversation going. You heard all about her bio um, in the opening, but it's also, as always, listed in the show notes. But if you have small children, I'm going to invite you to bring them into the room. One, because the type of conversation that's happening today, they need to be a part of so that you can continue this conversation at home. So without further ado, Dr. Amy Hager, welcome to the Grace of a Grind podcast. Welcome to the Life at the Table edition. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you, Dr. Lacey. So as always, before we really get into the meat of today's conversation, which I know is going to be pretty serious, I want to start off with my life at the table, everyday business, top five. These are five questions to give my audience a chance to get to know you a little bit better. So number one, coffee or tea? Tea. Yeah. 100% tea. <laughs> Any particular kind that you like? I like the variety. And more recently with quarantine time on my hands, I've been making my own tea. So just getting fresh peppermint and spearmint and brewing it with different fruits and just, you know, using this time to meditate, connect with nature and, and make stuff. I love it. Awesome. Aren't you fancy? I love it. I don't know. <laughs> so number two, where did you grow up and where do you live now? I grew up um, around Annapolis, Baltimore area in Maryland. And now I live all the way on the other side of Maryland by the ocean, by the beach. Oh, very nice. Who doesn't love that? I know. So, Number three, book or e-reader? Audiobook, listener. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that sounds good. Yes, I know you're a big, avid traveler, so I'm sure you get to listen to plenty of books when you're moving around the country. Sure Number four, where would you like to visit but haven't quite yet made it? I would like to go to Japan or Asia. Mm-hmm. I love the respect they have for their elders and their ancestors, and that's yeah. infused with everything. It's not just saved for the home. You see it in the architecture, you see it in business practices, like, and I, I love it. I love it. So, Yes, I, I concur. I would like, love to visit Asia too. I have a friend of mine that I, 
I met when I lived in Florence, Italy, and she lives in Japan. So I would love to to meet, to go back and meet her new family because she's married now with uh, children. So that would be amazing. All right. Here's the last question before we get into our topic and dialogue for today. What's a piece of advice given to you from a mentor that you still live by today? Um, Well, probably over 10 years ago, I had um, somebody tell me that I needed to start my own business and to not get kind of stuck in the constraints of needing somebody else to give me health insurance, needing Mm. someone else to give me vacation days. Um, And I sit back now, kind of where I'm at now and thinking like, I should have listened to her 10 years ago. (laughs) Wow. Yes. Um, But yeah, yeah. That's um, just trusting myself that I don't need to wait for somebody else to do it for me. I can make my place in this world just like anybody else. I love it. So let's talk a little bit about that, where you are now. So give us some, you know, now I, so full disclaimer, ladies, I know Dr. Amy, courtesy of Dr. Tracy Timberlake, who we worked with for almost like two years, right? I know, yeah. And and who really helped us. uh, So shout out to her, helped us to get our businesses um, in a different direction in launching um, with coaching for us. And so we had a chance to, to start to get to know each other that way. But you don't know the amazingness that is Dr. Amy. So I want to give her a chance to just tell us a little bit about how you got here. Okay. Well, I used to be a school teacher. I was a school teacher for over uh, probably 13 years. I worked with mostly kids that worked in uh, or were in uh, emotionally disturbed programs, alternative schools. Um, So, you know, I had the knuckleheads and the knuckleheads and I absolutely loved it. Um, But I quickly saw that they were not getting treated fairly, even down to can't even get hot meals, not not even hot breakfast in the morning. And, And that's, we don't hold food over the heads of children. They're children. I don't care that they're an alternative school. It was that egregious and they should be in the detention center. If they can still be in public school, feed them their meals. <laughs> so it was just basic things like that. And when I would, when I would question, I'd get shushed. It's Amy, it's not time to talk about this in a meeting and you can't talk about this during a faculty meeting and you got to be quiet during an IEP meeting. So at some point I'm like, okay, so you guys don't want me to help. You don't want help. The, 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 I saw the system was broken. So God just kind of started leading me out and making me uncomfortable at work. So I would, I would push and get out because I would have just stayed. Right. But, um, you know, now that I'm out, I opened an overnight child care center. It was um, a need in the area. And I knew that it would give me access to these families before they got into school and, and teach them questions to ask and how to advocate for their kids, whether it was going to the doctor and the doctor saying, no, we're not going to give it. And we say, mark that in my file that you refuse to give me a referral for a specialist for my kid. And then and to see when they come, the parents come back and say, you know what, that worked. <laughs> That work like wow. so. I enjoy getting these parents when they're young, and I learned that trick from a black woman I saw on Twitter. So I don't want to say that it was my idea. I did learn that from somebody else. Mm-hmm. But, well, and um, I wouldn't even call it a trick. I would call it like a strategy. Yeah. Well, again, as a white person, when I go into get met, I, I don't even have, think that the doctor is not going to. Right. do what I need to do in, in my best interest. But when you hear story after story of, of women going in and not being di- black women going in, not getting diagnosed, not getting the trapper treatment, getting sent home from the hospital and then they die. So mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. I, I will, whatever information I can share with these parents. Yeah. Um, and then even when they go into schools, like they owe you explanations, like you need to be part of the education process. So I very much enjoy that. And now to have the financial freedom, the professional freedom to now really get into what I want to do, which is more advocacy and just really trying to change this world. Awesome. Yes. So already, if, <laughs> if you haven't, um, you know, strapped in, do so. <laughs> <laughs> you can hear Dr. Amy when she gets going, it's going to be fast. So, um, <laughs> you know, just, just listen in guys, it's going to be all right. I promise you that. But I'm one of the things, look, two things you hit on was systemic racism in the education system and systemic racism in the health system. Mm -hmm. And, you know, both of which are huge problems, some of which people don't understand or don't see it as a problem. Like the system's not broken because they're looking at their personal experience and instead of realizing it's a bigger experience. Mm -hmm. But my understanding, Dr. Amy, is you weren't always this um, much of an advocate. No. So when I, w- I would say that I was raised racist, but, but I ra- was raised in a race uh, in a household that, you know, the N word was never used. I never heard my parents say that. Um, I was allowed to have black friends. I was allowed to have gr- black girlfriends spend the night. I could go to their houses. 
but I couldn't date their brother. Mm-hmm. Like it was that, it was that kind of thing. Um, you know, we, I grew up in a neighborhood. We had black neighbors you know, we had some Hispanic ones on the corner next to Greek ones. So I grew up in a very diverse neighborhood. I went to a very diverse church, but it was, you can be friends and we can coexist, but you can't date. Um, and so then I have to start asking, well, why? And I had to get older and getting arguments with my mom about why, why, why? And she wouldn't really give me an answer. Her answer was always, why do you want to take the hard road? And as I got older, I started to learn the hard road, men black. <laughs> so why would you want to date a black person? Um, because you know, as I, I, I finished college and I thought, okay, well, that wasn't the hard road. I went to college. I got a teaching job, you know, like, okay, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't have any children young. Like I, I don't, I don't get into legal trouble. Like what hard road is she referring to? Like mm-hmm. what road am I taking? Or even to choose a mate, I could choose someone with children. To me, that would be a harder road. You got a whole extra bag, you know, that you got to take on or someone that maybe was ill or, you know, was, you know, had a disability or like something like, you know, like some <clears> other Thing that would maybe cause some turmoil down the road. And I couldn't understand what she was talking about when she would say, you're picking the hard road. I'm like, what, what do you mean? So seeing that, that she taught me one way, but was expecting me to do something else. So mm-hmm. when I say I was raised in a racist household, it was very conflicting. Cause I'm like, I don't understand why can't we go to church with them? But I, I can't date the brother. Like, it's not okay for me to think, you know, the brother's cute. I don't understand. So, mm-hmm. um, having those conversations. And then that aha moment of, I was, um, it was, I was in high school and you remember watching TRL, right? Did you ever watch oh, it on MTV? TRL? On MTV? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Okay. yeah. Right. But you know how like we could vote, we could call and vote in. And right. so I'd show up for Britney Spears, but I got Missy Elliott. And I was like, who are these people? Right. Who are these people in this video? And they got thick thighs, just like me. Mm. They're built like me. And they weren't the butt of a joke. And they weren't hiding in the back. They were the front. They were the vixens. And mm. I thought, oh my gosh. And so I, I liked that music. You know why? Because I saw myself in it because I didn't look like Britney Spears. I had mm-hmm. the white skin, but I didn't have the orange tan or the six pack. And I couldn't shop at those stores. So right. I found myself listening to the DC rap stations, the Baltimore rap stations, which meant I now was listening to DC black news and I was listening to their issues and I thought, Oh my God, like that was my gateway was music. Mm-hmm. I found representation. And then it was the fashion. I, I bought but apple bottom jeans, dairy, you know why? Cause they fit me. I felt mm-hmm. included. I found some kind of connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and as a white girl, I struggle with the idea of appropriation because I don't take, because I, I just want to take it for myself. I, I felt included. And right. then I started to see, wow, like, well, we have other, other similarities, like, right. you know, and I, and I found, I, yeah, I, found acceptance. And I didn't find acceptance in white people world in regards to clothes I could wear and my body type. Cause uh-huh. I don't care what they say about the majority white girls are, we're not airbrushed. We're not Photoshopped. And mm-hmm. so me growing up thinking I need to look like that. I was, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but, um, to sort of find, to find beauty and, you know, you guys are so beautiful. Like, that's the big white, white girl secret they don't want to tell. We think you are so beautiful, so mm-hmm. beautiful, your hair and your skin. I mean, with the things we do to try to have our hair and our skin darker. And I mean, I don't know why white women just don't tell, tell y'all. Like, you guys are so beautiful. But that's right. just like deeply rooted insecurities from us. Mm-hmm. But um, and we don't need to be jealous. You know, we just, you know. Right. Just keep the party moving. Exactly. Well, and so, and so, you know, Dr. Amy, have you ever heard um, people say um, with regards to to white black relations they want our rhythm but not our blues yes yes and i think that rolls back to a back to slavery i'll take a page out of uh, kenya barris's book he always brings everything back to slavery in our country white people the 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 go-to is to take from y'all without giving thanks or gratitude Mm. that's a slavery thing Mm -hmm. and so uh, you know now as an adult like it's me fighting that implicit racism i have to like down deep, I, I always think, well, why do I have to say thank you? Like, that's my initial response. Why mm-hmm. do I owe them a thank you? But I'm like, because you do, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then I, and I change myself, but what I've been taught for generations on is, well, why do I need, why do they need something special? But, and that's really a lot of our mindsets because that's what we've been taught. That's y'all's purpose is to give, 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 we take and benefit and we don't owe y'all a thank you, but that's not true. And, but to, to kind of get back to, well, why do I think that way? Okay. That's wrong. I didn't make a change. And it's just doing that every day, every day, every day. I remember one day I was driving in the car and I saw it was, it was late at night and there was a, I buy a college and there was a white girl walking down the street by near my car and she had a backpack on. 
And I remember I made myself lock the door. And I, because initially I thought, this white girl, she's not, she could have hopped in my car and who knows what has in her backpack. It, it happened. Right. But right. I remember thinking, I'd lock it for a black guy. I better lock it for this white girl. You know, just things that I've been taught. Yeah. Um, even though statistically, I've never been attacked by a black man. I've never had a black man rob me. That mm -hmm. is just things that we get taught from TV and the types of news they put on TV, you know, and even the types of stuff I'm taught in school. The first novel that I read in college was Native Son. And it, yeah. I very remember a very clear rape scene. Well, I was a 16-year-old white girl reading that. I could have been reading Their Eyes Were Watching God, a beautiful love story that I should have been reading at 16. Mm -hmm. But it's very strategic in the types of books. They only teach about trauma and slavery. And then again, as a white person, that's all I think y'all are about and wow. what do I owe you gratitude for that for like that you know wow but I, okay yes <laughs> all right so <laughs> a lot just came out there um you know I think it's important to like what I heard you saying was you recognized it mm -hmm. and once you started to recognize it like anything right um what you know the the what is it the 12 steps the first thing is is realizing there's a problem right and so once you started to recognize it that's when you started to adjust your behaviors around mm -hmm. it so let's go back to your teenage years so you're in a household your parents are like you know they're cool like right. so right. and 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 the same conversations that your parents were having with you um indirectly mm -hmm. black parents are having with their children directly so like i remember hearing if he can't use your comb don't bring him home right uh, okay okay <laughs> and okay. and i remember having the same conversation with my mom because i had a little crush on a white boy in high school and um it was either high school or college probably college and she said no maybe high school because i went to hbcu and, and you just were raised at like fist mm -hmm. in the air yes. um but i remember her saying to me love and relationships can already be difficult enough why add that to mm -hmm. it right yeah yeah so it, it was an eye-opener for me and um i remember my grandfather who was a pastor saying you know don't bring one of the white boys home mm -hmm. right yeah I think some of that is was rooted because my grandfather's very loving as a pastor, especially, yeah. but it was also rooted like he was a World War II veteran. Um, he had done some sharecropping as a child. Um, you know, he came back, worked in the factories. He played for the Negro Baseball League. I mean, my wow. grandfather was a man, right? My grandmother, she um, was her, her grandmother, born a slave, died free called her pickaninny every morning for her would stay in bed until you bring me my coffee pickaninny bring me my coffee right because that was what she re was raised in mm -hmm. so we if we hear pickaninny now we know that is a, a terrible racial slur mm -hmm. but at my great grandmother's time it was a term of endearment for my grandmother right mm, so okay. let's go back to you know you're in high school you're watching the trls you're seeing the missy elliott you're listening to the news but you're still living at home with your parents what is the conversation that's happening and i know your father is also was also a police officer yes now my parents were divorced so this was my mother's home that okay. most of the conversations or the, i guess the lack of conversations and that's really what it was I, I guess I felt like I knew her stance and because my parents were divorced, I was very good at uh, compartmentalizing things. Mm. So then that part of her just got shut out. So what does that look like to me as an adult is she doesn't know about my boyfriends. Okay. I don't tell her when I'm dating anybody and she never brings it up either. Oh, she wow. Never, she's never fixed me up with somebody. She's never mentioned somebody and she never even asks me if I'm seeing anybody because she, she knows the conversation that is about to take place. Mm -hmm. And so I think her and I just avoided it more. So now I'm bringing it up, but I'm tying it more to the children. Mm -hmm. I'm like, mom, these are babies. Like we need to protect our black kids. They're not being taken care of. And so to shift her attention, not to the adults and her daughter dating a black guy and what, what is everybody going to think? switching it to the children I'm finding have I feel like I'm having more effective conversations with her because okay. it's kids like how do you say no to kids so right right okay but yeah in high school we we just didn't talk about it and then what about from your dad's perspective you know we did when you were visiting him um now my dad um 
my dad was more liberal about it. Um, you know, I, there was more black friends that came around from, from him. My mom, we really, like I, I had, I had, they were my black friends, mm-hmm. but like my mother didn't have black friends that would come over. Okay. If, you know, yeah. um, so it's nice to see the generate, like how generations we just grow, you know, like just the changing and, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, yeah, my dad, my dad was, was down for it. He was, okay. you know, I just want you happy. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a blessing because that's yes. not always the case and everything too, right? Well, and he also knew how my mom was being, so I guess that was like a win in his corner of like, oh, okay, well, I'll support you on this. <laughs> it's right, 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 absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So, you know, Dr. Amy, you had your own personal journey of like enlightenment, for lack of a better word, and through music, through uh, culture, which happens to a lot of people. Um, mm-hmm. It's like discovering jazz for the first time, right? Yeah. Um, so what are your thoughts on, this was your own personal, um, revelation. How do we change it for others? I think it's going to have to be like pushing past the defensiveness because, um, yes, you know, I had this awakening in high school, but I also chanted blue lives matter. I also chanted all, I was asking, don't, well, don't, doesn't my life matter? I got in arguments with people about my dad. Don't tell me my dad doesn't matter. Like, that wasn't, that wasn't it. You know what I mean? Now, granted, I caught up with that years ago. Um, but it was, I was watching somebody and he said, you read only black lives matter. Mm. You know? So I think, I think now people are getting that. Um, but you know, right. Right. Yeah. And, and so it has to be this pivotal. I, I love the analogy. I saw someone share, um, about the parable of Jesus and the, the 99 and the one, right. Okay. There's the 99 sheep, but one goes missing and the shepherd leaves the 99 for the one. Mm -hmm. And to some degree, the black community is the one, you know, they're like Mm -hmm. hanging off the cliff, trying to figure it out and, um, you know, wanting to be seen, advocating for themselves. And finally, it's like, okay, you know what? We got to take care of the one. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is supposed to be in all of us, right. <laughs> one. Right. So you know, Doctor Amy, as we continue to to take care of the one, you know, the ninety nine and the one. How do white people? And I'm not. And I ask this question gingerly because I don't want yeah. it to come across like because what I hate is when people ask me a question as a black woman and expect mm-hmm. me to answer it for all black women. Right. 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 <laughs> but from your personal perspective as a white woman, mm-hmm. how do we um, ensure or how do white people, how do you, that you're not the hero, that you don't feel the need to be the hero? What advice would you give? Well, I guess here's my thought on the whole hero thing. This is white people's mess and white people need to clean it up. It's not about being a hero. This is not about saving y'all. This is about, this is a broken system that honestly has nothing to do with black people. This goes all the way back to Europe of a noble, non-noble. And that we are the, gen- the, the descendants of the non-noble that were told we were un- unimportant by a system that could not be broken. I can't change the blood in my veins. Mm-hmm. So to come here, they didn't know any different. They get here and had the opportunity to be free, really free. And I thought, oh, wait, we need a them. We need some up underneath, you know? And so that just continued. So for white people to race to this end of the route, like where did this come from? It yeah. really doesn't have anything to do with black people. It has to do with our own insecurities and being taught that we weren't important. And then what did we do? We just continued that toxin and, and just created that piece. The Sweet Life Social Drop the Ball edition is back with a brand new date, Saturday, June 20th at 9.30 a.m. A two-hour group brunch and social held at the chef's table in the fifth ward, limited to 12 women and designed to help you create a strategic professional connection, enjoy an amazing brunch with a wine or beverage pairing of your choice, and pop-up laser coaching from yours truly, Dr. Lacey C. Robbins. Over the course of our time together, gain clarity on your power path and doing all the things, determine a power plan to turn things around and gain the confidence and strengthen your mindset with your power presence to drop the ball all while filling your space. Be sure to plan and join now as the Everyday Business Signature Box also makes its debut. You can learn more by visiting www.robinsnestconsult.com 
consulting.com forward slash social. And now let's get back into this episode. So um, I think it's important to, again, not be defensive because when we get defensive, we're not going to be thinking with our executive functioning, our body thinks we're in panic and, you know, our hands are shaking and all that. Just take a breath. Um, Understanding that, um, and when people get defensive, it's because they say, well, I'm not a racist. I'm not a racist. Why? Because racists are bad people. Okay. So you admit that there's a problem. Now we can have a conversation, Mm -hmm. you know, like this isn't about hurt feelings anymore. Like people are dying. Like. I'm not going to wait until someone busts into my friend's house and shoots my friends and my godchildren. Like, enough already. And the media can't even spin it anymore. Like, they, mm-hmm. Sandy Bland, they presented her as this mad black woman, mm-hmm. hollering and screaming on the side of the road. I watched the video. Right. I taught it in class. I showed it to my middle and high school kids. I was like, we need to see this. And what's wrong? And we wrote, San- we did a, um, episodes for her, Sandy Speaks. You know, mm-hmm. so we like, if she was continuing, what would her work look like? Like, we still need to be talking about all that stuff. Right. But the way they spin it, it's like they can't even spin it anymore. You can't even, oh, they're not some thug or whatever. No, no, no. They're, they're people just sitting in their house, just, just being black, walking right. in the park, doing whatever. Um, so it's like, okay, we can't make excuses about this anymore. Like, it's time to stop turning a blind eye mm-hmm. and do something about it. And I feel bad that I didn't say something sooner. You know, God put something in my heart over a year ago. It was that, it was that platform. Like, you remember? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I was about to throw all my teaching stuff out the window. I was like, okay, we're going to do this. Race to the root. You heard that, that mm-hmm. thing before. And, you know, just to see how it's gotten worse. I. I feel bad, but now it's the time. You know what I mean? I can't sit back and think I should have done it a year ago. It's like, okay, now let's go. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see, like, so I have a Facebook group called Race to the Root and it's exclusively for white people who want to help. This is not a place to go hunt people down on Facebook and get them fired for their racist comments. Um, if you're going to come in my group, it's action plan. So I talked about the, the, uh, the book drive for my childcare center. I have all, I serve all black children. I brought all my white childhood books. My center director brought all her white childhood books. Again, not, not anything wrong and no mali- not maliciousness, but we went right. with a colorblind approach. And so now, you know, re- you know, getting all those books in place. So looking at specific action plans, this, I didn't sit and talk about racist white people and argue. And I see that, I see that a lot. I see a lot of white people ha- that have had the light bulbs gone off mm-hmm. of like, oh my God. And now they want to fight. That's all they want to do is like argue with everybody. And yes, protests, that's what's wonderful and great. But like, when the, the signs are done and you're done arguing with people on Facebook, like what, what are you actually going to do? Like arguing with that person or sending screenshots of where they work and getting them fired. All that does is make room for more racist people. Like do, do something. And it's going to take like individual. I had a conversation with my mom this week. What are you going to do to stop racism, mom? And she just looked at me. <laughs> I, said, well, this week I started a Facebook group. I had conversations with family members and I assessed my business for educational materials that feature kids of color. And she said, well, I mean, I guess I can have conversations and I guess I can ask around if anybody has books. That's all I need you to do, mom. Just right. that's one thing a week. If that's all you do is one thing a week right. and just acknowledge it and that it's going to take these baby steps to just get this whole thing rolling mm-hmm. and to continue and- with it. And I think like what you mentioned, you know, it's not anything that is um, so huge, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people think, oh, if I'm not out with the movement, um, like if I'm not protesting, Mm -hmm. if I'm not, that's not enough. I'm not doing enough. Yeah. But, But really what you're talking about is being rooted in conversations and having Mm -hmm. conversations, even like the one that we're having today, um, us having conversations makes so much more the difference versus just like, Oh, it's not that big of a deal. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm thinking a lot about, um, I had a guest back in March and, um, we talked a lot about mother wounds and she's a Latina and I'll make sure to link it um, in the show notes, show notes as well. And we, she's a Latina woman and um, it was back in March, episode 27. And we talked a lot about mother wounds and we talked about the community that she created on Facebook as well for Latina women. Right. Mm. So you've created this space for white women. She created this space for Latino women so that they could come and have authentic and honest and open conversations and feel safe in doing so. Yeah. I think about um, I'm a part of the Black Girls Magic Peloton group. 
mm-hmm. and it's just for black women. And there's yeah. some biracial women that are part of their uh, the group too. But I'm sorry, if you're biracial, pretty much they still see you as black, right? Yeah. And so, and, and I and I, also, and I invited biracials to my group. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and some of them, you know, some of them wanted to be part of it. And I, yeah. I their moms are white. Right. You know what I mean? So like, they need to know how, what, what am I going to say to mom? <laughs> right. right. And Just because you, you have know, a biracial child does not mean you understand what's going on. Right. And I have a colleague who has a biracial daughter and her daughter is having her own personal struggle because there's some bi- biracial people who are saying, especially biracials who are black and white. Where do I fit in the conversation? Where are right. our rights? Where are our discussions? Why am I being forced to choose on a paper? You know, when I fill an application, paperwork, whatever, I'm being forced to choose between either one. Mm-hmm. What, you know, how do we start start to stop that as well? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And um, I think like by having these conversations like we're having today, like you're having with your mom, like creating the Facebook groups that is really going to be what's going to drive change. Mm-hmm. But I think there's one more thing that's going to drive change. Money. Oh yeah. Money, plain and simple. Right. And, um, you know, I consider myself a micro philanthropist. So basically I could take all 200, all 500 and give it to one organization, all 100. But a lot of times what I'll do is I will divide that up. 15 Mm. here, 25 there, you know, 50 Mm. there, da da da, $5 here. Because what I learned a long time ago is um, just that small amount is, will continue to keep organizations or Mm -hmm. efforts going. Yeah. What do you think is going to take to keep us going? Um, I, I think just being, being okay, being embarrassed, being okay, dealing with those feelings of, oh my God, what did I do? Like I, when I scroll through like Facebook memories, sometimes I think, oh my God, did I really say that? Mm-hmm. And like, and, but being okay, like being okay to say, you know, I grew, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I was wrong and I changed, like, mm-hmm. it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to feel embarrassed. It's okay to feel disgusted with yourself and like mortified. And it's, it's interesting. You brought back like the, the um, earlier, the 12 steps of, you know, and I often describe implicit racism as very similar to alcoholism. Mm-hmm. It's passed down. It's trapped up in your DNA. It is in the very fabric of our language, the stories we tell our kids, the shows we decide to watch. It is so ingrained. And so going through all those steps and part of, part of it is like apologizing to people. Like, and if you have to go to people, then do it. Go to the black people in your office that you stood by and didn't do anything when you clearly knew they were supposed to get that job or you heard people saying things, you know, little slick comments and stuff and you didn't stand up. Like, that's going to mean a lot to somebody. And yes, it's going to, you might not think it's important, but it is. Um, and and the, the, when you do those little things, like you don't, I had somebody post the other day, tag me in a post, Amy Hager, thank you for not being silent. And I just cried. And I thought like, and she, I don't really talk to her a whole lot, but like, and I sent her a side message and I was like, thank you. Cause sometimes I feel like it, no one's listening. Or sometimes I feel like they're going to be like, who's this white girl and who does she think she is? And, um, you know, why is she talking on these issues? And like, she just needs to stick to her own people or like whatever it is. And then just uh-huh. to get those, you know, and I got a message from my goddaughter the other day and she was like, you were doing all this before all this started. And I thank you. Right. Like, you know, just, I didn't even realize that they were paying attention. Right. Right. And, you know, I love these people. I love, I, they're my family. You know, like you would do it for, you would do it for anybody else. So right. what, what is the problem? And America has done such a very good job of making it seem like you guys are not people. Mm-hmm. even in Disney movies, your mm-hmm. stories are told through animals. Yep. You know, imagine if Lion King had been people and right. Mufasa's telling this young black child, remember who you are. Like that would have been such a powerful scene for yeah. young black children. Yes. The opportunity missed. Right. Why are they being told in animals? So then I think, well, then your stories don't matter. You don't get the happy ending. You don't get the fairy godmother and ride off into the sunset, you mm-hmm. know? And well, it's no different than the princess and the frog. She spent exactly, exactly. the princess for five minutes. And they went, oh, well, there's Tiana. No, there was a frog. Right. There was a frog. So, was a frog um, for the majority of the movie. Then. Exactly, exactly. So black children do not get to see their happy ending. They don't, and that teaches them about hope, you know? And I, I, I get frustrated, you know, because I only have limited things to show the kids. So we do a lot of stories and that sort of thing too. But um, to, 
when I think about as a kid, how these cartoons inspired me, like just like a movie inspires me as an adult. Right. That's what cartoons do for kids. Mm-hmm. And if black children can't see themselves in, in that, it's hard for them to visualize what their life is going to look like. Representation in cartoons matters. If, if not more than anything else, these right. little kids need to see themselves and not as the, the token black, black best friend on Rugrats, but like oh, legit and, and real stories and not wrapped around trauma and slavery and just regular stories about puppies and music and just mm-hmm. having fun. And um, so, yeah, like that all needs to happen. It reminds me a lot about my friend, Deanna Singh, who she wrote um, a children's book, I Am a Boy of Color, I Am a Girl of Color. And most recently she wrote a book called um, Cloth Crown, which again is a chance for children to see themselves and to see themselves in a positive way. And so many times that's not happening because like you're saying, we, we, it's only like the sad book, right? Uh And, you know, we're talking about black kids here, but if you look at children's books, period, you don't see a lot of kids of color represented in the children's books. Um, Asian kids, you know, um, children who are Latino, you just, you don't see it. And so I think that's what's going to have to be not only as we continue the conversations, but we also are going to have to use our dollars, use our influence like yourself, Mm -hmm. Dr. Amy, to continue to have change to come. But here's my final question for you. How do we avoid the bandwagoning? Because what I'm concerned and nervous about now is, you know, we literally, all 50 states, people have, um, protested um, with regard to the death of George Floyd. It's now in multiple countries protesting because of the death of George Floyd, which is really about, um, you know, police brutality. Mm -hmm. But what happens 30 days from now, two weeks from now, a day from now, will, when the hashtag stops trending, Mm -hmm. right? How do we avoid the bandwagoning? I think that we need to have action plans. So um, like I've been doing these little TikTok videos of, you know, dear white people, how can you help black people today? Mm -hmm. So I think um, people like myself that have gone through the journey, like we need to start sharing tips of how to be supportive. Um, But it's going to be action plans. Like, okay, what do you ask me? What are you doing this week? What are you doing? I want to know what you're doing and holding each other accountable and then giving suggestions. Because I think that's the big part too, is that, you know, when I, when I see these protests, I mean, and it, it warms my heart, but I think, okay, now what, you know, and I see a lot of people are like, okay, now what do I do now? now okay. I, there's something wrong now. What? And because there's no blueprint for it. And because it's, it's so much, I know sometimes I get very overwhelmed when I think about all, all the change we need to do. And so then I'll shut down yeah. because I can, you know why? Cause I'm going to go home and no one's going to bust in my house and shoot me. Mm-hmm. I can but I can't, you know what I mean? I can't do that anymore. Like I need to just make it relevant every day. And so if it means me having conversations and making sure that I'm loving on my black children at the center, like I need to keep it relevant. I need to make sure that this is important and um, have action steps and have a plan just like any, anything else. It's going to take little, little steps that make the big thing. So my recommendation is don't get caught up in the big global changes because one person can't do global changes. So right. when you think about inst- you know, institutional changes at the government level, yeah, you're going to get overwhelmed and think, well, my vote doesn't matter. Or, We're not voting until whenever, or my local elections, my school board members, I, I don't even know who they are. Like just educate yourself. Like that is a plan you can do today. You can look up your local school board and say, okay, well, when's the next election? And who are these people? What, I'm going to reach out to them. Who, you know, mm-hmm. what politics they stand on? What politics do I, are important for schools? Like, it, and so just having those, breaking down to those little conversations, looking around your circle. Cause I mean, I just looked at my business and I made an assessment on my business and what I can do. And then I had a cousin of mine a couple of years ago, I got in an argument with two cousins. <laughs> one blocked me. The other one, I said, watch 13th and come back to me. And she came back and she was like, I had no idea. I'm so sorry. We watched it with the kids. Like, I'm so sorry. Like, I, I didn't even know. Like, now you take action. Thought about being sorry. Let's take action. Right. And she's in my Facebook group and had her kids join, you know? And so she was even like, okay, I'm going to be praying because they have like a construction company. And I'm going to use her as an example because this is, this is what happens. I made a change. I said something to one of my family. Yeah, one of my family members blocked me. And then more recently, I had some cousins say, get your cousin. Like, they're inboxing me. Get your cousin. We're fighting with her. And I was like, which one is it? Oh, she blocked me years ago. Like, we already had this conversation with her years ago. And I, she's already blocked me. So, right. you know, continue to fuss with her. But is it really worth the energy to fight? How about you come to my Facebook group 
and let's get some raise, raise money for some books. Like, but let's make it action. But anyway, my cousin was like, you know, I'll be praying, you know, to figure out a way that God can help us support black people in our area with our business. Mm. Um, so I'm just excited that she's even considering it. Like she's thinking about it mm-hmm. and, it's, and she's going to give permission to her kids now. Like this is a whole other generation that, mm-hmm. you know, when I see her daughter, throwing all this stuff on Facebook and art. No, 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 this is wrong. Like it just, it warms my heart because things are changing. Yeah. And I think it's important. We focus on the kids instead of focusing on the, the I call them old school. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, one tip I would give to white people as they start having conversations with their family members, I think one of the big, the, one of the really hard things is to admit that somebody that you love and care about and respect and raised you was wrong. Yeah. But I invite you to look at them like a plate that somebody made you at a, at a barbecue. I don't like it when people make my plate ahead of time, but if I go to a barbecue, I'm not going to be rude. I don't like baked beans. I don't like that it gets on everything, but you know what I do? I eat around it. I can enjoy every other part of the plate, but I'm going to eat around this part. So my mom, my grandmother, I love my grandmother. I love her, but she's racist. So I just eat around that part. (laughs) If she gets online, some of her little racist juice starts to get on my food. I, I, I put her in place, but I'm not gonna throw the whole plate away. She's my grandmother it's my mother. She's my heart. And I will fuss with anybody that says anything about her. And all I can do is try to educate her, but I'm not gonna throw her away, you know? And, and, and white people, we need to get that. So like, you don't got to throw your family members away. You don't got to quit your job. You can eat around certain parts and, and, and redirect others and just take baby steps. It's just not going to happen overnight. I mean, this was, I mean, I'm 37 years old. This was back from 15 years ago, you know, when I was 15. So 20, it was 20 years ago of starting with the music and then going to an HBC and then working with mostly black children in a group home. And so like, it, it was a long time for me to learn all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so me, I often find myself getting frustrated and I'm sure you've heard my podcast or my posts when I get very angry, like do something, oh, yeah. <laughs> but oh, yeah. I have to, I can't be angry because then they're going to get defensive. So mm-hmm. I have to figure out how to just calmly say, have you tried this? Have you tried that? Mm-hmm. Um, because what I am finding is that the majority of white people do love you, but they just don't know how to do it. They don't know what actions to take. We weren't taught it in school. Um, and, and everything that is against y'all, we have been taught is right. Even down to church, we've got a white Jesus. You know what I mean? So yeah. All of that has made us like, like we were taught, we were taught wrong. That's a big thing. And so re-educating, clearing all that other stuff out, putting in the correct information, finding where to get that information. Like I love Kenya Barris. I, he is the history teacher I always needed. I learned mm-hmm. something new in every one of his episodes on Blackish or on uh, the, the one he's got on um, on Netflix, um, Ava DuVernay documentaries. Like I mm-hmm. gobble that stuff up because I feel like, you know, I love these people and I need to learn. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm not the only one. Mm-hmm. I know I'm not the only one. Yeah. Oh, I think that that is so good. And I, I definitely, again, um, I feel like we have spent these last 10 days, really since the death of Ahmaud Aubrey, mm-hmm. um, starting to recognize that racism exists in America. Yes. We now need to spend the next, <laughs> you know, 365 days mm-hmm. starting to create plans yes. of how we change the racist experience that has just perpetuated within this country. Yes. And, you know, Black people, um, I feel as though, statistically speaking, not even feel, statistically speaking, have received the brunt of it, but Mm -hmm. all people of color have experienced it. Yes. And, um, you know, no different than um, my Latino uh, brothers and sisters who are told, well, you're you're in America, you need to speak American, right? And it sounds so ignorant. Yes. And wanting to um, even... We know that the education system, 80% of teachers are white. Mm-hmm. And so rather than learn how to pronounce Jaquan, right. you just want to call him Jimmy. Right. right? You want to change his name. You want him to mm-hmm. um, assimilate so it's right. easier for you. Exactly. I will never forget, I had a PE teacher, white male, at my high school. I hated high school. And he was a bully. And instead, my name is Lacey, L-A-C-I. Yeah. He called me Lackey all year long. Oh, no. Because he mispronounced it the first day of school. How do you Right. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> and he mispronounced it. And then he thought it was funny 
and just decided to keep it going. So anytime I would have him and there was a white PE teacher and there was a black PE teacher. And I was so grateful that the, you know, in high school, you don't have to take PE every year. You basically yeah. for two years. Yeah. I was so grateful that this, that the next year I had the black PE teacher. I bet. And cause I just was like, I cannot believe this man is calling me lackey every yeah. day that I have PE for an entire school year as a high school student. High school was hard enough. Yeah. And gym hard. class is even worse. Gym class is brutal. The changing and the, right. yeah, all that. <laughs> right. And I'm like, and now this, now I'm experiencing this, you know? And so I do, I, I concur. We have to, um, we have to continue to keep the conversations going. We have to make small changes. And I think we also have to hold people accountable because 100%. looking back, like, okay, no, I don't want the baked beans to get on my chicken or to get on my potato salad on my barbecue plate. Yep. But, you know, is it also then, you know, the next time you invite me, I don't really do baked beans. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yes. 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 Know. Like I remember having conversation with my grandfather, my dad's dad, and he used the term that colored man, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, grandpa, we don't colored, you know, African American. We say black. And he let me know, like, that's what he's the term he's always known and right. Right. But even as a small girl, like I'm in like middle school telling my grandfather, like that's holding him accountable. That's exactly. holding him accountable to change, you know? And um, I think it's also like you're doing, Dr. Amy, like we're doing in the Robbins household, having conversations with the next generation, getting them to understand like, okay, AJ, this is why you can't, after Trayvon Martin, w there were no hoods, hoodies purchased that going back to yeah. school year. Right. No hoodies purchased that summer. Yeah. And I will never forget standing in the department store doing back to school shopping with him. And AJ, he's 14 now, but um, doing back to school shopping with him. And I had tears in my eyes because my husband's explaining to him, yeah. this is why you can't wear a hoodie mm -hmm. in the department store. Because all he yeah. wanted was the hoodie. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. His favorite team. He was, and getting him to understand this is why, son, because mm -hmm. we want you to come home. We want you to be safe. Right. And yes. like, you know, the fact that we continuously are having to have the talk. Mm. Kudos to, um, I believe it was uh, Procter & Gamble who had the talk commercial. They mm. got a, a lot of slack for it. But that's oh, well, really right. Yes, that it is. is. And it every is. scenario that they featured showing from like the early 50s, 60s, all the way to present day. Mm. We have experience as people, as black people. Yeah. We've experienced these things. So it's not like they're just, you know, art imitates life, period. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. know, so it's yeah. not just being made up. Um, you know, guys, I'm, I'm, I really hope that you've enjoyed this conversation on today. Um, this is the second of a three-part series. Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm even thinking this series is going to continue beyond that. So yeah. let me just say, this is the second part of a multi-part series. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Let me add it there. And, um, you know, before we hopped on, I was sharing with Dr. Amy, I normally record my podcast two, three months in advance so that I can bring in the most rich conversation to you. And everybody who was scheduled for June, except for one, has kind of been pushed to another month because it's so important that we keep this conversation happening. Absolutely. So Dr. Amy, I have um, one final question for you. With everything that's happening, Mm -hmm. Can you share a favorite quote or mantra that keeps you motivated? Quote or mantra. Um, I guess this the mantra is like one foot in front of the other because mm -hmm. it keeps me from focusing on the broad and I think Again, like I was talking about earlier, just like one little step at a time is going to make the big piece. Um, you know, when God gives me a message, he often gives me the final project mm -hmm. and I get very overwhelmed and then I shut down. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, really just keeping my head down, one feet in front of the other, him holding my hands and guiding me through this. Um, I don't think it's a mistake that COVID happened. I don't think it's a mistake that these, these, these more recent events happened. God has brought us to our knees to fix this. He does not like how we have been acting. And um, 
everyone's home. Everyone's home. Everyone's watching. Everybody's listening. Um, and, uh, you know, just, yeah, just those baby steps. Like with my, my center, I immediately put out a resource. You can get it on our website. Um, 10 ways to support black children in your child care center. So mm-hmm. I just did very specific yeah. for me and how I can help my community and how, how quick it was something very, very quick that I put together that we're, that I am doing right now. We are making sure we're upping our fruits and veggie game. Why? Because those improve mood. My kids are stressed. Um, you know, we're, we're incorporating yoga into um, nighttime. I've got a, a lady out in um, California. She's a woman of color. She does these namaste nightcaps. Um, I actually met her through the Flourish folks, um, uh, Flourish Media. It's a nonprofit that helps, you know, women of color with their businesses. And so just reaching out to other resources. And I thought it was really important for my kids to see her face relaxing them to go to bed at night. Um, I think it's important. I mean, I can love on them all day and night, but again, representation matters. And for them to see that is important. Um, so just making little steps on me and then sharing it to other childcare centers, because if I am having a colorblind approach to picking my materials, and if I am practicing adultification with children and not giving them the patience and the protection, I need to be checked on that and I need to fix it. Um, and I do, I do believe that that's happening in other centers. I hear that it's happening in other centers. And I don't think that anybody got the child care because they hate black children and want to make them miserable. I don't think that at all. So um, again, just making little steps and making resources for other people to take that next, just those baby steps. Because that, that little checklist, that 10, 10 is going to spark something and it's going to, you know, bigger change in your centers. So. That is so good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So now, Dr. Amy, if people want to get in contact with you, they want to follow you, maybe they want to be a part of um, and learning from you from your TikTok series, how can they connect with you? Where can they yes, find you? Um, well, you can find me on um, Instagram at Dr. Amy Hager. Um, and you can also find us with uh, the Nightwatch Child Care. Um, we have nightwatchchildcare.com. We're also on um, Instagram. We're also on Facebook. And um, if you go to any of those places, the link in our bio is going to have a link for my Race to the Root Facebook group. So this is for white allies. This is not for white people who just want to argue. And I get like, if you're just getting on the bandwagon and just now realizing that, oh my gosh, all this was happening. I get that's because it's, it's a bandaid. It's a, it's a, it's a quick fix. It's like, oh, I argued with somebody. I, I read somebody for filth today about their racism. And then that's supposed to be enough. It's not that that is not going to keep somebody from getting shot. So this group is really about action plans and it's a safe place. This isn't, I'm not taking screenshots and, and, and sharing it. I get on that and I'm very vulnerable. I had a conversation. I shared on there about the conversation with my mom. I got on there, shared a conversation about me getting pulled over the other night and not getting a ticket and then reducing my speed. And I had expired tags and that he let me go and Sandy Bland didn't make it home. You know what I mean? And I made it home. Like, why, why is the subjectivity of the police? Why is this man allowed to, on the side of the road, be my judge, jury, and executioner? Just because, what, he thought I had a pretty smile, let me go. Like, and it happens all the time. So, um, yeah. So, those are some places you can find me and my center and connect and, and get some action going. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank yeah, you thank so you. much. So, ladies, I really hope that this episode has inspired you, has encouraged you, has enlightened you that there are allies who are there working for the same cause that we are working for as Black women. Now, you know, this podcast is all about grace over grind. We can still do so and move forward as a nation gracefully. It can happen. Did this episode empower you? Be sure to share it with another lady leader that you know who could use this information on today. And I would employ you, share it with a couple of guys too, because I'm sure they could use it as well. Now, join me next week as we continue this conversation, as we continue to just discuss together how we can make better change and how we can be better allies for those around us. Now, as I always say, don't forget to give us that five-star review and from process to practice, grab your stilettos and let's go. Thanks again for joining everyone and I'll see you soon.